0: Welcome to Tea and Teaching, the educational podcast you can listen to in your tea break. I'm Arthur Moore, and with me, as always, is Mike Carwell. Hi, Mike. Hello, Arthur. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you very much. What have you been up to this week? Any recommendations for the listeners? Yeah,
1: big recommendation this week. I've been really getting into the Rethinking Education podcast uh, with uh, James Mannion. It's, it's really good. Anyone involved in education who enjoys our podcast, I would strongly recommend that as well, but always download T and Teaching first and then go to Rethinking Education, maybe second, but it is a fantastic podcast for, uh, for anyone who wants to kind of broaden their horizons about
0: education. What have you been up to and doing this week? Um, I've actually been delving back on a previous episode I recommended, A Wish for Afghanistan, which is a podcast series on BBC Sounds about Afghanistan its past its current and its future it's a weekly series um and I've kind of missed a couple of episodes recently so I've been catching up on that um episode six which is all about a journalist in the country and kind of their journey through it if you're interested in tour with Afghanistan and even if you're not it's such a a story of our time I would really recommend it so it's a fantastic half hour it's quite a powerful podcast it's not something to go for a run um, something I kind of sit down and really just absorb it completely. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I wish for Afghanistan and BBC Sounds. Fantastic. It's,
1: our recommendations to, to you are go and listen to two different podcasts. So there you go, <laughs> listeners. But maybe listen to this episode and then do that later in your own time.
0: Yeah, don't because switch today... off
1: now. Don't immediately <laughs> switch off. Don't switch off. No, don't do that. So today's episode, Arthur, we're going to have uh, Dan Hudson speaking to us. He's going to be talking to us about what a high quality teacher development program should look like and what he's doing in his school at the moment around teacher development so everyone grab a cup of tea get yourself a biscuit and we'll meet you back here after the break welcome back to tea and teaching uh, we're really pleased to have dan hudson with us today welcome to the pod dan
2: Hi, guys. Good evening. Thank you very, very much for um, asking me
1: on tonight. No worries. Well, first of all, can you give us a brief kind of introduction to you and your career uh, to date and and why you're interested in teacher development?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, I started coaching uh, cricket in schools when I was about 18. Um, I was basically, I think I was spending too much time watching kind of cricket on the uh, telly. And my dad said that I needed to go out and get a job. So I trained as one of the ECB level two coaches. I started coaching cricket and then I finished uh, university and the course I was doing, um, I I really liked it, but it wasn't something I wanted to go into a job in. So I carried on working within within schools. I trained as a teacher in about 2010. Um, Ended up around about 2018, becoming in charge of uh, of, uh, teaching and learning. Moved on to a school in Bristol called Oasis John Williams to become assistant principal teaching and learning. And I've just moved again to become deputy head at a school called Nova um, in charge of uh, curriculum and also uh, teaching
1: and learning. Fantastic, so you've got a lot of experience working in different schools, kind of overseeing similar areas, I guess.
2: Yeah, so I guess I've worked in three different schools now all overseeing uh, professional learning, CPD, uh, uh, curriculum, QA. So it's been really, really interesting, I guess, having those opportunities to work in different schools um and yet do a kind of a similar role i guess and to take the best bits hopefully from school to school and role to role but also those opportunities to work with different people and in a couple of different trusts so i I previously worked in oasis i now work in um um uh, united learning i think working in some of these bigger trusts gives you kind of access to some really good ideas and thinking
0: what was your subject by trade dan
2: Uh, computer science so I did um, IT at the University of Reading and like I say it was something that as a kid I was really kind of interested in I loved it at college but then when I was like 18 19 20 I didn't ever see it myself going into it as a a career but um, I was kind of lucky to be able to train as as a teacher in it really and then from one thing to the next it kind of evolved and I think in in your first question you said what was the sort of time when you began to get really interested in kind of like uh, research and um, that kind of uh, thing and I can remember for the first five or six years of teaching I was kind of uh, bumbled along really and in my head I thought I knew what really good teaching looked like and I actually took a lot of principles from when I was being like like trained to to coach because a lot of the coaching um, training I had was about you kind of show the kids a really clear model, you question to check their kind of understanding of that model, and then you set up independent practice for them to go off and do it. So although that wasn't something that when I began training as a teacher, I was taught to teach in that way, I always thought, you know what, my coaching sessions always seem to go really well, so I'm going to use this really similar model. And then around about 2015, around then, um, I guess I began engaging with kind of Twitter for the first time. And the first person I, the first Education person I ever followed was Tom uh, Bennett. And it was around about the time that kind of their research head was kind of becoming, I guess you know, like the kind of their conferences were kind of their beginning and um, and retrieval and their cognitive science and these like kind of terms. And I began reading them and thinking, you know what, all these kind of their principles that I took from my uh, coaching and brought in into like teaching, I can now kind of understand why I've always wanted to teach in like a certain way. And I guess. Um, uh, crystallized a lot on my own thinking really around teaching so definitely around about 2015-16 having access to the first um, uh, research ed people on Twitter was definitely a turning point and from that point on it's been something I've really tried to engage more and more with.
0: Mike can I throw a similar question to you because y- you were in the teaching and learning assistant heady type job um, when did that kind of? When did you get drawn towards that? Is it similar to when you were teaching, and you're like, "Oh, I quite like this teaching idea."
1: Yeah, I think I went to head of the department, and for the, I guess the first couple of years of being a head of the department, you're kind of like, "Right, I need to get myself as good as possible." And then once you go and find yourself in a kind of a good position, I guess, and you you're kind of like, "Okay, I get this. I still got to develop, but you know, I've got the fundamentals." You then focus on getting the enjoyment out of developing the staff you work with Um, and then yeah my move into kind of overseeing teaching and learning as an assistant head was passionate about right I've done this with a small group of people now can I do it across the wider school Uh, but I'm really interested from you Dan to kind of get your opinion on on what a high quality teacher development program looks like Um, it's obviously not going to be the same in every school but what's the key ingredients that you you try and include in yours
2: yeah, I think the absolute uh, fundamental is, I think we need to take the same uh, cognitive science principles that we teach uh, students with and apply those to uh, teacher training. Because I think that when we, I don't know, I, just, I, I was thinking back to a lot of my own uh, CPD in the, like, the first five or six years when I was teaching. And a lot of it was we sat down in the school, school hall after school and someone might talk to us for like an hour. And then we walked out and we all moaned about it and none of us had it had any kind of impact or effect on the things we were doing. So I guess the really key kind of their principles are if we believe that the IWU Rosenshine uh, scaffold is the most effective way to teach and we're teaching all of the kids in our classes using that kind of uh, method. We should be using that when we want our teachers to get better as well. We need to model what we want our teachers to do. We need to give them that exposure. We can only be aiming for something if we know what it actually looks like. So I think on on, uh, the CPD that we all run, I think we've got a model to our staff exactly what that skill or what that resource should be looking like. We need to check the understanding of our staff so that we're all really clear on, you know, the different parts that make that model really work. And then we need to make sure that we give our staff the opportunity to practice and receive feedback on that before they then go off and apply it in like, uh, whatever context they are going to do. So I think what's really, really important is that, yeah, I think we've uh, got to set up the same opportunities for practice away from the classroom, whether that is making a resource or whether that is uh, a method of kind of, of uh, questioning and use the same uh, principles that we actually teach teach with.
0: And. In your blog you've written down, which we'll put a link to in the podcast threads and on Twitter, etc., you talk a lot about this micro versus macro teacher development. Do you just want to give us a kind of a little insight into what you mean by those terms, micro and macro teacher development?
2: Yeah. Um, okay. So if we go back um, a couple of years, so when I moved to Oasis John uh, Williams, one of my key things to bring in was a um, um, coaching program. And the coaching program was based on a um, drop-in for about uh, 15 minutes, uh, receiving a really small piece of feedback and then going away and practicing that, um, which, which, which is now something that's coming in massively with the new early uh, career uh, program for teachers. And off the back of that, we then do a lot of whole staff practice sessions where we take some isolated, isolated teaching skills, for instance, a whiteboard uh, routine. We practice them with, with all the staff and the next week we come back and look at a different skill. And as the months went on with this more and more, we were kind of practicing these small isolated skills away away from the classroom. And we were seeing some really positive impact in terms of the lessons about teachers then bringing these like isolated skills back in. But I guess what I began also thinking about is, as a teacher, there's like two sides to the same coin of teaching. Number one, there's some really small isolated skills and the MOF has kind of uh, codified these, I think absolutely uh, uh, brilliantly, that if we become excellent at these small isolated skills, no matter what the subject area we teach is gonna have a massive impact. So cold core, show me, no opt out threshold, all these things are really important. Whether we're teaching history, science, PE, they, um, they all play a really kind of a positive role. But also as a teacher, We know from all of the excellent uh, curriculum thinking that's happened over the last few years that every subject is is really different. And the journey of learning that as a science teacher compared to a history teacher, compared to a French teacher, the journey of learning and how that, how and the subject uh, specific pedagogy that that we need is also very, very different. So I guess the blog I wrote about micro and macro was trying to sort of uh, resolve in my own head really when I'm leading teaching and learning, how do I get all of, all of the staff to become really, really good at kind of isolated skills that we know will benefit everybody whilst not becoming uh, generic and whilst not losing sight that there's some really important teaching and learning uh, pedagogy that might look different across kind of uh, subject, um, uh, subject areas? So I guess the micro and macro is thinking, the micro would be the isolated teaching skills that are applicable in all of our uh, 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 subject areas. And the best way to get better at those is we practice, we get feedback and we practice again, and then we take that back, in, back into the classroom. Whereas the macro is more across a unit. What is that journey of learning? How do I take the students through, through that, journey, that, journey, that journey of learning? And maybe the best way that we're going to like develop that is through co-planning in our, um, 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 our subject teams. So yeah, I guess it's just trying to make sure that there's some really important isolated skills, but we mustn't ever lose sight of the fact that like the subject is like also king, and that um,
0: a genericism, I guess, can sometimes get in the uh, way of that. Completely can empathise that. I think. I'm a. I was a maths teacher by trade. Mike's a PE teacher by trade, and we're probably two of the worst subjects for being in a group session. Being like, "That looks good, but it doesn't apply to my subject." That that's the phrase we hear, especially maths teachers. We're really bad. Doesn't apply in my math in my subject. Um, Mike you heard that in PE rooms. Yeah, hundred percent.
1: Like you know, you, you do those inset sessions that you've talked about, Dan. You know, when you go to the hall and you sit down, and you know, there's there's the risk sometimes when you someone tries to introduce these kind of skills you're talking about, these isolated skills, and it turns into a bit of like teaching by numbers. Mm. Um, and everyone should follow this and that and that and that. And yeah, you always get subjects. You, like you said, just sit down and go, this won't work in our subject. Um, I love the idea of co-planning, uh, but I'm interested how you create time within your, your kind of professional development program for staff to do that. Because I think every teacher will agree it's one of the most impactful ways of sharing best practice or improving your own teaching. But where does the time come from for individuals to sit down with own individuals or like departments and subjects to sit down together as a group?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's no uh, directed time is obviously it's, re- it's really tight, isn't it? Um, I guess the most important thing is I think we've got like work with kind of uh, faculty leaders to like Uh, separate the admin side of the job and um, the uh, development side of the job so something that we've done previously is um, coach faculty leaders about how they might use for instance the first five minutes of an hour-long session to get out in a kind of bulletin format some really important notices um, and then how they can get straight into using the faculty time for actually teaching and learning modeling Co, uh, sharing kind of uh, resources and adapting them or potentially other sort of tricks we tried really about using email for uh, notices and again from the minute that your team sit down everyone sat down and we're focused on the actual teaching and learning because really the truth is no no schools have enough time do we you know i, I don't think there's kind of any school out there that's like looking at themselves thinking oh no, we've got this massive uh, surface here what do we do so none of us have got, have, have got the time to do the things that we want to do. So I think it's about just being really like kind of uh, precise and thinking if I've got 55 minutes with 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 my team now, and these are all the things that I kind of have to do, and these are things I like want to do, how can I shrink the things that I kind of have to do in like the shortest period of time? How can I pick that up with kind of individuals in line management meetings, away, away from the actual kind of uh, faculty time? And i think it's about trying to keep that faculty time sacred around the conversation about teaching and uh, curriculum Um, and i think what's really important is that time will only ever be as good as how confident your faculty leaders are actually running cpd sessions around uh, development so i think what's really important is you've got to teach your faculty leaders how you want them to run a practice session how you want them to run a co-planning co, a co uh, planning session. Because if you just leave up to sort of chance, the likelihood is you are going to have some people in your middle middle leadership time who aren't as confident doing it. And that's when they're potentially going to
0: fall into the trap of having a 45-minute a meeting about um, admin tasks. I think what you said about when should a meeting be in an email and when should an email be a meeting, getting that right is often key. And also talk about, Making sure we have that time, Mike. We spoke about this from like a well-being perspective. Sometimes you have to make time to do something, and if that's a some the cost of something else, that then that's okay. And Dan, that's kind of sounds like we're saying like, if you're gonna do co-planning, you you kind of got to do it. You're gonna say this half an hour on this date is when we do this. No ifs, no buts, kind of thing. Yeah,
2: and I guess it just comes down to something that you know. In, in both of the last two schools that that I've worked in is. The expectation is, as a faculty leader, you'd have the CPD plan for the term mapped out. You go through that with your SLT line, 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 manager. We're sort of looking at how that time's allocated uh, together, and we're working through any of the potential issues. But I think it's just about if, if as like a kind of a senior team, you believe that that is the best use of uh, faculty time, you've got to do everything you can to work with your faculty leaders to give them the tools, the tools, the tools to do it. Um, because, yeah, like I say, it's, there's not like an abundance of time. So it's about kind of uh, maximising the, time, the time, time you've got. And, I'm, and I also think to go back to what I said, it's really important that your, your faculty leaders have that really strong men, um, mental model of what an effective faculty time, time, time looks like. And I think that, that comes that when you have your like, faculty leader SLT meetings, you are showing them and modelling to them exactly how you want that time with with their teams to be
0: used so using that modeling system from top to bottom it feeds all the way through down into the classroom
2: yeah i think so i think that yeah like i say if you want your faculty leaders to run um the cpd sessions in like a certain format they need to have seen that modeled from slt so that they've got something to then go that um and actually copy
0: might that feels so a good moment to go and take a bit of a biscuit break, go and get a bourbon, uh, go and get a custard cream, and then we'll be back to talk to Dan about teaching. Welcome back to Tea and Teaching. We're joined this week with Dan Hudson talking about teacher development. Dan, in your blog, I was reading through your blog the other day, and the thing that kept coming out to me was you have this phrase see it name it do it and I like to think I know some things about teaching and that was a phrase actually I didn't know I'm gonna be like I d- didn't know it and I'm sure some listeners uh Mike's sitting there I think he didn't know it either I can see his Mike did you know it I did but I don't want to take the uh <laughs> the, the credit away from Dan so
1: I'm gonna let him explain okay. it to you Arthur and I'm gonna smugly sit here because I obviously knew it
2: yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, first of all, there's no kind of uh, credit here. Um, I stole it from a book called uh, Leverage uh, Leadership. So there's a guy in the States called Paul, called Paul Bambrick, I think, and he's part of the un- Uncommon Schools movement that uh, Lamar is from. And he's written a couple of really interesting books about um, improving schools. And one section of that was about what does a really high-quality uh, professional uh, development session look like, so his term for it is see it, name it, do it, which, as I said very much back at the start, I think we need to teach our teachers using like an IWU model, the same that we teach we teach your kids. And for me, see it, name it, do it is just a slightly different version of IWU. So the see it part, best I like say that so the way that we do it currently at Nova is we have a 20-minute practice session on every single Monday after school, and that's with every teacher. Um, within the school so about six so about 55 staff we all come to the hall after school um, we're in pairs and the see it uh, section is what whatever the skill that we're going to practice on that day someone from from SLT will then stand up and model what that skill looks like so on the very first day when we came back after summer we, um, we did a practice session around our um, entry to uh, classrooms and a member of SLT stood up in front of the staff and demonstrated how he would get that class in in the most kind of effective way. The name it section um, for me is like the we do almost, and that is when we then clarify what are the action steps that have made that model work really, really well. So first of all, we show, show people live what it is we want them to do. And then in the name it section, we unpick that So we will break that down in some really concrete actions so that even if you've watched the model and you're not clear about why it was really good, then hopefully by kind of breaking it down within that kind of name it section, we've got a really crystal clear model. And then to do it, uh, what what we then do is we give people some time to script. So they've just seen a model of excellence. We've unpicked what the the kind of action steps then make that up. We give them, them them some time to kind of um, uh, process that, to script the way that they're gonna apply the action steps they've seen. And then we're in pairs, and we go into like a practice feedback and re and, and re-practice cycle, where we stand up with our kind of partner, we practice the script that we've just written, we get a really small piece of uh, feedback on that, we take that feedback on board and practice again. So I guess those are the really key parts. And like I say, the see it, name it, do it for me, is like an IWU scaffold for a practice
0: session. Is that what you were going to say, Mike?
1: Oh, yeah, I couldn't have said that better. And <laughs> Word for word, Dan. Um, my question, Dan, about this is, that, you know, I've done a lot of kind of introducing new ways of learning for staff and new professional development schemes. And every year towards the end of the year, the head teacher says to me, how do you know it's working? So have you got, kind of is it just through the teacher feedback you're getting or what you're seeing in lessons is there a real kind of concrete way that you know this this development program has real high impact in terms of the teaching and learning at your school or schools
2: yeah so I think that when we're talking so when we're talking about see it um see it name it do it I think that is um the CPD model that we use for those like micro um isolated teaching skills that we like talked about about earlier And the way that we QA that is we have a feedback cycle where all of us within school are getting a 15 minute drop in every three weeks. The focus of those 15 minute drop ins is SLT going up to lessons and we're looking to see how well those isolated skills are kind of landing across the staff team. And because these are isolated skills that are applicable, whether you're science, history, maths, we believe that all members of SLT can go into any lesson and make a really good informed kind of a decision about how, how well those kind of isolated skills are going. We give each member of staff feedback after that drop in. So they kind of understand what our thinking is. And we make sure that all the trends we're seeing from that feedback cycle, we're kind of talking about these at, at, at an SLT level and they're directly feeding into what the upcoming practice sessions are. So on that cute. Q- QA level I do think the best way to see if kind of isolated like teaching skills are being like performed well is to be in lessons as much as possible sampling as many lessons as like possible and using them to that to kind of inform yes these like practice sessions are having an an impact for that but on this we're not seeing it maybe done the way that we want so so we're going to spend like some more time time kind of on it um so I think Rather than it being like data driven and kind of numbers driven, I think the most powerful thing is to be in lessons, watching it, talking about it with the uh, faculty leaders, talking about it with like with uh, wider SLT.
0: So that, I really enjoyed those point Dan about going into lessons. Completely agree. Like I used to love people coming into my lessons. When Mike used to walk in, like when Mike was observing me, whether formally or informally, I used to drag him in off the corridor and then getting the feedback. That's how we develop. Um, but there Will be some teachers, and I'm sure I've said this at some point, just leave me alone, like just give me some autonomy, let me do what I do in the classroom. I get results, look at my GCSE results, I get the grades. How do you get those people to buy in to to this level, which they might see as micromanaging? That's how they might perceive it.
2: So, is is that buying to doing like the practice, or is that buying to having people on their lessons?
0: I would buy into doing the practice,
2: okay? So, let's start with that, yeah. So, that is. Yeah, look. Let's be really, really honest. Um, so I've launched um, uh, deliberate practice now in two in two different schools, and both times, there's absolutely no I doubt there are some people within that launch who are looking at me thinking, "There's no way on earth I want to be doing this," um, because deliberate practice is a really uncomfortable thing to be doing. Um, I can remember the first time that that I kind of did it, and I wasn't a fan of it. But almost, I wasn't a fan of it, not because I didn't think it was going to be good because within sport, as kind of mentioned earlier, like we kind of practice isolated skills within sport all the time. But I think within teaching, um, because it's not been normal for so long, I think so many people are a bit wary of it. So I think what I've tried to do both times when like, we launched the staff is call that out really early. And by that, I mean, make it feel safe from the very first day that you kind of it to say, some of us are not going to feel comfortable with this and that's okay. The point of um, deliberate practice is we want to build habits, and building habits are really um, an effortful and difficult kind of uh, process, and we don't ever see the benefit of a habit until much later down the line, so we need to be prepared in the kind of uh, short term to feel a little bit uncomfortable, or to maybe be doing it but not uh, believing it, but when we do this collectively as a staff team for weeks and weeks and weeks, the payoff for that comes much, much later. I think you know it's about trying to build that kind of uh, message really that we're, we are trying to build habits and the payoff of those habits comes much much later and I think it's also about acknowledging the elephant in like, the room really early on that you have got some people within the room who can't wait to like you know stand up and practice and there's some people that don't kind of want to and like normalizing that and saying we're all going to go on this journey as a group and we're going to be a lot more comfortable with it in a month. And in like a year's time, we we'll all look back and think this is just like a, a completely normal way and a part of our culture of, of like getting better. I also try and say to staff that uh, deliberate practice is just one cog in the wheel of getting, as, of getting better as, as a teacher. And that's why I think the kind of uh, micro macro um, language is really useful because I try and break it down and say, know it's not the only thing we're always going to do we have our faculty uh, cpd time and our faculty cpd time this is the type of things we want to get better at uh, together but when we come together for this 15 20 minutes as a staff team every monday this is like the purpose of it so i guess trying to be as clear as possible on that
0: mike you that must be something you've encountered in your in your roles would you add anything to dan's comments there No, I think Dan's
1: hitting the nail on the head. You're always going to have those early adopters, people who sometimes are are too keen to get involved and you're kind of trying to calm them down a bit and focus them. But yeah, you're always going to have your late adopters and your kind of reluctant people who come along. But like Dan said, it's about modeling it, about acknowledging it. Um, And I guess it's like a feedback loop, isn't it? If they start using these things and they start having a real impact in their teaching and they realize that, oh, I got that from that session, that feedback loop is telling them that this is a beneficial process and they'll they'll gradually engage more and more as you go along.
2: And the other thing that I think is really important when you do a launch is, I think it's really important the, the kind of staff team see SLT getting up and modelling and being like involved in it uh, themselves. I think what would be really, really damaging is if it was something that was led by SLT, but SLT weren't actually doing it. So in our practice on like a Monday, are like slt are paired up and they're like with um with kind of all of our staff and they've seen slt stand up and model certain skills and it's not i think that's really important that staff can see that slt are prepared to come outside of their like comfort zone with it and it's not a them and us type type thing
0: We've spoke to other leaders in schools before, Dan. We've talked about, and when you make mistakes, SL2 also have to own those mistakes. So here's something that didn't work, but I'm gonna keep doing it. Uh, that's kind of what you're talking about. This this model, 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 we're all in this together. We're all cogs in the machine. Um, let's all kind of pull together.
2: Yeah, and I think that again, it's about, you know, we're kind of uh, collective, isn't it? I think, it's so, I think it's just like so much power in us being uh, together for those yeah, 15 minutes every single Monday. And us all practicing something uh, together with the intention that we're doing that because as a staff team, we all want to do the best, best possible job and have the most kind of, of impact. So I think there's, you know, there's a real good kind of selling setting point there and something that in time, is something there to be kind of like harnessed and to say to our staff team look at the power of what we're actually doing now um yeah i i, I definitely think that that's something that can help build up the, the uh, culture around it
0: and also when you're doing in person as a group as a big collection there's none of that oh, i didn't see that email so sorry, sorry i didn't do that i didn't see that oh, I missed that notification on Teams. Like, now we're all in the room together. We know, we know we're know, we doing this together.
2: Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a really, really uh, crucial point, point actually. And I think that is why uh, we're talking a bit about kind of our practice sessions. But I think just on a wider SLT point, I think it's absolutely crucial that SLT always model and show what the kind of standards and what, like, you know, the staff should be doing. And in a different comment, a really good kind of example of the other week is there was um, a communication software within school that as a staff team, we weren't using as effectively as what we needed. And in the next staff briefing, one of our assistant uh, principals stood up and modelled live to staff exactly the way that we should be doing it. And it took about a couple of minutes to get the point across. But I think if it had been within like an email, things things get missed or things get lost. But when we stand up and we show, I think like, yeah, the, the kind of power in that is like huge. And I think um, SLT should always take the chance to model things rather than just thinking, um,
1: I'm going to put it in a kind of email later. I definitely agree with that. Dan, thank you so much for your time. I think there's going to be a lot of listeners who... Are looking out for jobs at your school um because I, I think with your model i think you know you're going to come in as a teacher and you're going to get so much professional development i think the model's absolutely fantastic um, and we wish you all the best uh, with it moving forward in your school thanks so much for sharing
2: yeah guys thank you it's been a real kind of uh, pleasure to uh, come on and talk and thank you very very much for um asking me on tonight
1: thanks uh, we're going to take a quick break and then me and Arthur will be talking about our key takeaways from today's pod. Welcome back. Loves having Dan on. Um, Arthur, I'm really interested. What was your key takeaway from that conversation?
0: Well, I was going to keep a tally chart of how many times Dan said model um, and I ran out of space because if you listen back to that again, he just keeps talking about modeling at every stage, not just SLT model, not just HOD's model, not just teacher's model. We all model and that follows our way down the chain. Um, and I was thinking back to my own experience and thinking, have I ever seen like an SLT member really model, really model something, not get someone else to model it? Have I seen two members of SLT up on the stage modeling something? And I'm not sure if I have. I'm not sure.
1: As as a member of SLT who's worked with you, I'm sure there's some examples, but
0: oh, apart maybe. from yourself, apart from yourself, Michael, apart from <laughs> yourself, you, you're always maybe, modern to me.
1: Maybe they weren't powerful enough to make you remember them. Maybe that's the error. But no, I think that, <laughs> that Dan knows that topic yeah, inside out, and you know, I don't think there's there's many people out there in education who have as a clearer vision as he does of of that
0: modelling process and the, the kind of coaching process that follows on from it as well. I I would have loved to have that in a school I worked in. I think that would have been a Monday morning, here's 10 minutes on a little teaching thing to do. I'm all into that. I think that's great. Yeah. And what
1: I loved it when he talked about the difference between micro and macro, you know, the, the macro stuff is the, the wider kind of your subject, your context, your curriculum, but that micro thing is little things that we can all do in the classroom that just get the best out of the students and just, add that 1% here and there um, and then go away and model those micro things and work on those micro things. Um, I absolutely love that. And then, you know, the, the co-planning time for those, the macro side of teaching, I thought that was, that and was a what, really good way of, of framing that.
0: that similar seems what you were saying, the same side, uh, different sides of the same coin of like, you've got these isolate skills, which we can all learn from. And then there's that subject specific stuff that you need to go and work on yourself or in your department. Like, I know when I've done observations in other lessons, in other subjects, I mean, like, I actually don't know if that was good or bad, what you did there, because I don't know the subject. Whereas when I've had my head of department or I've been in someone else's maths lesson, I know a lot more and we can really go into the minutiae of the the method. And I'm sure you've had that from PE as well.
1: Yeah, 100%. I, I think there's benefits of both. I think there's benefits of having a subject specialist come and watch your teaching. And there's benefits of someone who has no idea how your subject is taught coming in just asking questions why did you do it that way like have you thought about doing it and sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees when when you're involved in something and someone coming from outside asks you a question and you suddenly think why am i doing that um so i think it's powerful either way definitely um but if you enjoyed our conversation with dan today Follow him on Twitter. He's got some fantastic blogs, some fantastic resources and, and tweets that he sends out. Um, so please engage with Dan, bombard him with tweets because um, he's a very, very knowledgeable guy. Uh, with he's got fantastic- loads of time. He, he said, I've got loads of time. I Loads of time. <laughs>
0: his, his,
1: his professional development plan must just run itself. He's got loads of time for your tweets. So uh, thanks once again to Dan for coming on. I've been Mike and you've been...
0: After, that's not what you did last oh, week it's no that's true. not what we did last week you so want try I'd again on mike. Go, on. go on try again
1: i thought i'd keep you on your toes you failed the test so <laughs> today listeners i've been mike and he hasn't got a clue what's going on thanks for listening to the pod
0: we'll see you next episode bye <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of tea and teaching
1: if you've enjoyed the content of this episode please feel free to share it with other educators
0: And if you're able to, please leave a review on the platform.
1: And as always, thank you for listening to Tea and Teaching.